Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Spirit will bring harmony. Everybody say harmony. Unity and peace into our souls, if we allow it to. And, and really, the reason our culture is, is, I think, so far out of tune is because it's so busy listening to so many other voices, right? Except God's Spirit and God's Word. I'm reminded of the situation that illustrates this. It happened several years ago in a small Mississippi community. I was reading some time ago, a water main had busted disrupted the water supply to several hundred homes in the community. But a postman, while he was out uh, doing his job, discovered the actual uh, area where the pipe was broken. And he went to call in to the water department to report the source of the problem. But all the phones at the water department were busy every time he tried to place a call. Housewives, they said, all over the community were calling in, complaining, and demanding something be done. And the only person who knew the source of the problem couldn't get his call through. Because too many voices were on the line griping about the problem. Hello. In our culture's confusion today... Listen, we are hearing so many voices that we can't listen to the one who has the solution, right? It's just a a minute. If we would just take a minute and, and mute all the other voices. See, that's why we have church. It's a good opportunity to mute all the other voices to read God's Word, to listen to the voice of the Spirit. If you'll do that, you might find a real solution. Right? Now, have you ever ever heard an instrument that was really, really, really out of tune? If not, let me save you the trouble. It's not enjoyable. What's worse, though, is when the person playing the instrument doesn't notice. Right? And so out of the kindness of our heart, we listen to the whole song and the encore while you want nothing more than to lose your sense of sound. It's like, Lord, why did you give me ears? Then you realize that's a ridiculous Uh, thing to say and so instead you say Lord why didn't you give them ears right any musician knows that you can get an instrument perfectly in tune but if after tuning it over time naturally it'll become out of tune instruments require constant tuning old puritan pastor and theologian his name was john flavel he says it's the same with our hearts flavel wrote a whole book where he describes the heart as a musical instrument it has to be fine-tuned and retuned because our heart can get off and get out of tune quickly 
The heart doesn't just stay in tune. Keeping it in tune is the task that necessitates devotion. Right? Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> what would cause a person to whistle out of tune? You say, well, that's easy. They're just not musically inclined. They're not musically talented. But what if there's a whole group of people who whistle out of tune? And they are all out of tune at the same time, the same note. Do you know, strangely enough, that's what happened a number of years ago when musicians noticed that the errand boys in a certain part of the city of London, all of them whistled out of tune as they went about their daily work. And somebody come up with the idea, they need to check the bells at Westminster. And sure enough, they found those bells were out of tune. And those boys had heard those bells growing up all their lives and they didn't know there was anything wrong with the bells. And so without even thinking about it, they had copied that faulty pitch. How many know the same thing happens to us in the spiritual realm? We live in a world that so far out of tune with God. And if we grow up listening to our culture, hello, church. You're going to start sounding and looking like your culture without even thinking about it. Our text in Hebrews chapter 13 really kind of displays this because throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer has, has spent a lot of time on doctrinal matters. But as he begins to bring this book to a close, notice we read from the last chapter, he begins to talk about some matters of practical Christian uh, living. And because the essence of Christianity is not how many facts we can cram into our heads, right? How many know the essence of Christianity is how we're able to take the things we learn and live them out in our lives from day to day? Is that right? Thank you. Three people says yes. So in chapter 13, the Hebrew writer talks about some of these very practical matters. He answers the question, what difference should everything I've been talking about up until this point make in the life of a believer? So in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13, he talks about the believer showing love, hospitality, sympathy. Those are the correct tunes that our lives should be producing and echoing. In verse 4, he mentions the need for moral purity. In verses 5 and 6, he deals with covetousness and talks about the importance of being satisfied with, with what you have. In verses 7 through 9, he encourages the Christians to be steadfast in their faith. And then in verse 10, he begins talking about the importance of separation in our lives from our culture. And this is where I want us to focus the remainder of our time this evening because it's it's a topic we desperately need to hear because how many's noticed and I'm sure you've seen some of the statistics about our American young people these days in that they say more than 50% will leave the church as soon as they leave home how many's heard that well if you haven't heard it you're hearing it tonight 
more than 50% will leave the church as soon as they leave home. So a lot of people are wondering, why do so many young people leave the church? Personally, I don't think that it's just the philosophic dangers that we sometimes worry about. That may be some. It's not just their exposure to humanism, whether it be in school or wherever, that challenges their faith in God. It's not the challenge of science and the whole evolutionary hypothesis that causes them the most trouble. I think what causes most young folks to give up on their faith is they don't want to be seen as different from their friends. Hello. They understand that the consistent application of Christian morals is going to make them completely different from the culture in which we live. And in the end, for many young people, that's what costs them their faith. It's a struggle that perhaps our young people understand to the extent that some parents cannot identify with. Some grandparents can't really understand because in years past, there was a time in this country where it was a lot easier to have a deep Christian commitment, right? Back in the what folks call the good old days, Christianity was accepted almost as the norm. Everybody almost held religious beliefs, and everybody in the neighborhood seemed to go to church on Sunday morning. Is that not true? When it came time for a revival, wow, hundreds of folks were anxious to turn out. In those days, Christian moral standards were appreciated. And all of that made it, in a sense, a lot, or I'd say relatively easy to hold your Christian beliefs. But boy, I don't need to tell you, that's not the way it is today. Right? Sad to say. Today we live in a culture where Christianity doesn't have much place in public, uh, the public place, marketplace, so to speak, except to be ridiculed. Society's values have uh, now run completely, totally contrary to the New Testament teachings. A uh, 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 world today is obsessed with, with lust and immorality like never before. Hello? Broadway, uh, adulterous activities are considered acceptable and normal, right? By more and more people. The concept of commitment and especially in the area of marriage, why that's disappeared. The idea of self-discipline has been replaced by the doctrine of self-gratification. And things like honesty and integrity are, boy, they're just memories of the past generation. I don't think there's any doubt but that it's more difficult today to be a follower of Christ. 
than in any other time in America. It's no longer considered respectable to hold religious views. And the effect of a constant exposure to this culture's attack on Christian values sometimes leaves us wondering if perhaps we're out of step with the rest of the world. Hello. Sociologists tell us that much of what we believe and know comes not just from our own investigation and analysis, but from the society around us. In other words, from the time we are a young child, we come to believe certain things about the world simply because everybody knows this way it is, right? And we believe these things because it seems silly to question what everybody knows is true. Now, example here, let's get a little participation. Show of hands. How many of you believe that the earth revolves around the sun? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, we need to have a talk after service. (laughs) All right. Second question. How do you know the earth revolves around the sun? Hmm? Think about it. Have you ever actually proven it? Proven it yourself? Have you done all the calculation? Can you be absolutely certain as a result of your own experience? Of course not. You say, but it's been proven by scientists. Amen. So, so we have to give that one, right? So tell me who proved it? How'd they prove it? Chances are you probably don't know their names. I don't. Let me tell you something that might surprise you a bit. The only reason you believe the earth revolves around the sun is because that's what you've always heard from the time you were a kid. Right? Parents told you that. Teachers told you that. It become an accepted fact because everybody knows it's true, right? And if someone were to stand up and say, well, I believe it's the other way around, that the sun revolves around the earth, then we would immediately dismiss that person as crazy, right? Because it's contrary to what everybody else says is true. Now, it's one thing for that to happen in the realm of science, But I want you to look at what happens when it occurs in the moral realm. I firmly believe that the greatest threat to the survival of the church is not some new piece of scientific evidence that folks think is going to shatter their convictions. Rather, our greatest threat is the fact that we must hold a set of views that is unacceptable to the majority of people nowadays. Hmm? In order to be a faithful, committed believer, we must be different from our world. 
And the truth of the matter is that some of the readers of this Hebrew letter were faced with this very same problem. It was the problem of just being different. Their Christianity made them painfully different from their society, which was just as immoral as today's society is. And also made them different from their friends and family who were mostly Jews. And so they were branded as different, odd, weird, right? In fact, one of the main reasons that some of them were thinking about leaving Christ, read Hebrews, you'll find out, and going back to Judaism is that they were just tired of being different than everybody else. So the Hebrew writer deals with this tension, deals with this fear of, that his readers are facing, the fear of, of being an outcast, the fear of living outside the realm of public respectability. And he starts by talking to them about Christ, and he reminds these believers that Jesus wasn't exactly someone who fit in either. Oh, somebody say amen. So that's where he says, in fact, Jesus died outside the camp. Therefore, we as Christians need to be willing to live our lives outside of the camp, outside of the culture and their norms. So observation number one, I got to hurry because that was all introduction. We got three observations. I'll try to hurry. Observation number one is what I just mentioned. Christ died outside the camp. And that's verses 10 through 12. And he goes into this sacrificial culture where he says in quotes, uh, harkens back to Leviticus chapter 6 verse 30 where we see some of the offerings that were brought and given to the Lord in the tabernacle could be eaten by the priests. Remember that? Some parts could be eaten. But the sin offering was to be totally burnt up. The ashes of that sin sacrifice was to be thrown outside the camp They were considered to be unclean. They were dumped outside and amounted to what become over time a garbage heap. And the Hebrew writer wants us to see how fitting it was that Christ was crucified where? Outside the city of Jerusalem. He wants us to realize that Christianity didn't begin with a great deal of public acceptance. Jesus didn't receive any medals recognizing him as Outstanding Young Man of the Year Award in Jerusalem. There were no eternal flames burning for Jesus at the Jerusalem National Cemetery. Right? Rather, he was killed on a cross and were reminded that the actual Uh, crucifixion took place outside the city walls and he died on a place called Golgotha, a place of the skull, a place outside the realm of acceptance. It was the town garbage dump. The kind of place where thieves 
curse and soldiers gamble. And the cross means a lot of things. But first and foremost, church, it meant shame. It meant reproach. And Christ was rejected by the establishment and by the culture and by society. And the message of the cross was a continuing source of rejection to the early church. And Paul wrote, he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 1.22. Because everybody knew that good men just don't die on crosses. And so the message of the cross became foolishness to the Greeks, and it was a stumbling block to the Jews. But Jesus died outside the camp. Observation number two. We now must be willing to live as outsiders hello broadway verse 13 therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured or suffered listen if christ died outside the camp of acceptance then why would we think as believers we're going to be spared the experience of going through the same thing as Christ put it, if the world hated you, hates you, know that they hated me before they hated you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Christ said that the attitude of our culture toward his apostles would be one of hatred because of the fact that they were obviously so different from the others around them. The fact that we follow Christ, church, makes us different. And a life of faith has always meant living a life that is different from others. And that is true of the Hebrews, uh, uh, excuse me, the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. How many know Joseph wasn't a great man because he adopted the moral values of Egypt? Daniel wasn't a great man because he ate the same thing that everybody else in Babylon ate to fit in. Listen, the Hebrew writer says our faith takes us outside the culture, outside the camp, in a world where Christianity seems to be absurd to so many people. And the significant thing, though, about Hebrews 13, 13, is the reminder that the place where we belong as Christians is really outside the camp. We need to understand the importance of that because it is essential that we come to see ourselves as outside. Outsiders, Paul said, we are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are not feeling at home in this culture because we're looking for a city. And so we are outsiders. So problems develop when we begin to adopt the same goals of the world, uh, immerse ourselves in the same uh, things that are the talk and, and the priorities. Listen, when that happens, we become indistinguishable. Okay? We're trying to live in the culture instead of outside the camp. And we're no longer different. And we have to realize Christ calls us to a different set of standards. And Paul said it this way. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye what? Somebody shout it. Transformed. In other words, don't copy the behavior. Don't copy the customs of this world. There's a word about this in the Bible that will sum all of this up. It's called sanctification. The word sanctification simply means set apart. And the noun form of the word means those uh, who have been set apart are translated as saints. And those of you who are Christians are called to be saints. We're called to be set apart. And to do that, we must live different lives. And the temple was a sanctified building because it was different than all the other buildings around it. The Sabbath was called a sanctified day because it was different than any other day of the week. And so as believers, we are called to be sanctified because we are different from all those around us. Listen, we're different because we're governed by a different standard of right and wrong. And we need to understand that the world around us will not always understand. And they certainly won't always appreciate the things that mean much to us. Listen, there will be times when we will seem totally out of touch with the reality of things. And that's one of the reasons we need times just like this together. Let me share with you the results of an experiment. I thought it interesting. To do this, I want to ask you another question. Don't be afraid to speak up, okay? How many knows in our world there's such thing as stereotypes? Thinking about the stereotypes we have, let me ask you this. In math, who's better, men or women? We usually think of men as being better at math than women. That is a stereotype. Now, again, thinking about stereotypes, which race is considered to be best at math? They usually say Asians are better at math. So, individuals that were conducting this experiment, they wanted to know how well would Asian women perform on math tests? And the results were interesting. If prior to the test being taken, an emphasis was placed on the fact that they were women, guess what? they tended to do poorly. But if the emphasis was placed on the fact that they were Asian, they tended to do very well. Now, the psychological term for that is stereotype threat, quote, unquote, which simply means that we tend to perform at a level based on what is expected of us. Now, what does that have to do with those of us who are believers? The answer is quite a bit. We are children of God, right? Who live in this world. And every day, 
Broadway, we are given a test in spirituality, in sanctification. And if we are constantly reminded about the fact that we live in this world, then we're going to tend to do very poor when tested. But if we remind ourselves of the fact we're children of God. Hello. I said we are children of God. When we're tested, we're going to do a whole lot better. Hallelujah. That's why we desperately need our time together. We need a reminder of who we are. And we need a reminder of who we belong to. It's hard for us to maintain our identity if we feel alone. But we're not asked to follow Christ alone. We are to share the community of believers who share the same convictions. And with the strength that comes from fellowship, we can venture out even into a hostile world as attempt to influence them to follow Christ. Listen, friends, this world is not our home. Praise God. I'm a child of the king. Okay, final, final observation. Hey, are we moving pretty fast? I thought we are. That timer on that screen is going to have to be a different color. I still can't see it. So I'm watching my, my watch. Okay, here we go. Everybody, observation number three. Here's what he reminds us. We won't be outsiders forever. Praise God. And verse 13, the, the writer reminds his readers why we're willing to be different. Why we're willing to suffer being looked down upon sometimes. It's because he says, we're, lurk, we're looking for a city. It's not this one. It's one that's coming. What he is saying is there is a reward. Hallelujah. There is a goal. At the end of our journey, it's going to be worth the journey. I said, beloved, it's going to be worth the journey. We may leave and have to go outside the culture right now. But like Abraham who lived before us, we're in search of a city whose builder and maker is God. It has foundations not of this earth. It has a government but nothing to do with the White House. It has a court but nothing to do with the Supreme Court. Hallelujah. Now that's our reward. Oh, I can't wait to Hallelujah. Listen, before, how many know before I take any trip, and hopefully before you take any trip, you have to decide, is it going to be worth it? Huh? If it's not worth a trip, I don't like to travel. I'll just stay home. Right? You'll drive hundreds of miles to see an old friend, visit family. Why? Because it's worth it. But if there's something at the end that it's not worth it, then forget it. Gas is too expensive right now. Out in Minnesota, they have that world's largest ball of twine. Forget it. I'm not going there right now. I don't want to get there. 
and see a big ball of twine. That does not make my journey worth it. Hello? See? But we got to remind ourselves there's something at the end of the journey for every child of God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, the Christian life may not be easy. The journey may get very tiresome and you may get weary, but there's going to be something at the end of the journey that's going to make your journey. Somebody ought to raise your hands and say, it's going to be worth it. I said, it's going to be worth it. The only way to get there is to be willing to mark yourself as different. Praise God. How about it, young folks? Are you willing to be labeled different? Huh? Are you willing to be an outsider? Huh? The little click at the school or the little click at the workplace talking about the Friday night party that you wasn't at? Are you willing to be the outsider? Hello? I'm going to conclude. How many has ever been to uh, Outer Banks, North Carolina? Outer Banks of North Carolina. Yeah, there's several. Um, I, I, I believe it's there. Um, if you go there... You can see the, the Wright Brothers Memorial at uh, Kitty Hawk. Am I right? Um, that monument was dedicated to Orville and Wilbur Wright, the two brothers who, who launched really the whole modern age of, of flight. But if you, if you had to read about these brothers in the newspapers of their day, you would have gotten the idea that they were a couple strange birds. Oh, I didn't mean that bird's eye. Never mind. Some of you get it. Strange, eccentric men who many believed they were out of touch with the real world. They lived in a day and age where people said it was physically impossible for us to fly. And they said, after all, if, if God meant for men to fly, they would have... He would have given us wings. But the Wright brothers had a vision. And they left on a journey. And they vowed to continue that journey until they reached their reward. And now decades later, all the laughter has been silenced. Right? The ridicule has been silenced and drowned out by the roar of aircraft and spacecraft that has taken us all the way to the moon and back. Right? Why? Because the Wright brothers left the camp. The camp of usual thinking because they had a vision. Huh? Of the way things could be. And in that vision, they saw that men could fly. And the only way they could pursue that vision was to go ahead and suffer all the unkind words and jabs of unkind critics. But they were willing to do it. And because of that, we owe them a debt of gratitude. Right?
As Christians, we must also be willing to leave the camp of our culture. Through Christ, we have an opportunity for us to experience fellowship with God. How many want to have an intimate relationship with Christ? Listen, friends, the only way to get there is to leave the camp of being accepted by our culture. Listen. And say, I choose Jesus. Come what may, I will serve the Lord. Amen. Is this okay? Sister Jones, you can come. I'm going to close. I want us to stand together because maybe, you're, maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you've been tempted to go ahead and conform. Go ahead and accept the values of this culture and the ideals. Oh, listen, church. It has come into the church like a flood. Just this week, how many has, how many has heard of assistance, assisted suicide? Yeah. Just north of us in the church. They had a crossover ceremony. One of the ladies that had been a part of a certain church for many years wanted to be taken out by the chemicals that the doctors put in your veins. So they took out the pews they said in the sanctuary and made it just a hall and brought the little lady up and set her in the overstuffed chair let her family come in and test say their goodbyes and the friends then the medical team in come in and put the chemical in her veins and they said goodbye and her life was gone the pastor of that church said it was a great thing listen friends You can't take life out of the hands of God and expect him to bless you. Those are things that's in his hands. But listen, friends, we're looked at as odd because we still hold to these truths that are unshakable. Are we going to be willing to bear the reproach to be seen as an outsider. I trust we've counted the cost. Church, I've made up my mind. Come what may, it will be worth the journey. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Perhaps you're a believer here tonight and in the past... You've experienced being outside the camp. You've experienced what it feels like. But you've returned to the camp because you'd rather be a fit. Listen, God has called us. God has called us to choose what we're going to be tuned by. We're going to either be tuned by the culture or we're going to be tuned by Christ and his word. During a lifetime of any piano, 
they get out of tune many times. Sister Sandy has to call the tuner every few months, it seems like. That tuner, well, they probably have more technical, technical things now, but what they used to do is they would strike that U-shaped fork, and that, that tuning fork is tuned to a certain international pitch. Hmm? And he'll strike that, and then he'll begin to tighten or loosen the A string on the piano, middle octave, until those two sounds match. Then he proceeds with the work of adjusting every other string to that standard pitch. Listen, in the life of every one of us, there are times we need to adjust our heartstrings, right? I don't know about you, but I want it adjusted to the eternal standard. Hallelujah. Oh, don't adjust them to this world's standards, right? Adjust them to the heavenly standard because it's the eternal one. And we are called to do that tonight. Father, here tonight, I pray that we would tune our hearts, our souls. Oh, hallelujah to heaven. Lord, this world is not our home. I've said that several times this evening. And God, help us to have an eternal perspective. And remember with all of our heart tonight that we are a pilgrim. We are a stranger. But the journey's going to be worth it. The reward that awaits. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As we make heaven our home. Oh, the suffering will seem but light affliction, as the writer said, when we celebrate it with Christ for eternity. Touch our lives tonight. Refocus our, 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 our pitch tonight and help us to fine-tune our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children say amen. Find a place to pray. Why don't you take a moment and ask God. Ask God to just tune your heart. Tune your heart. To eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bye.